began a couple weeks ago entitled Possessing Territory and Expanding the Kingdom. Say that with me, Possessing Territory, Expanding the Kingdom. This is a prophetic word that the Lord gave David, the psalmist. It was, it was prophetic in the fact that it was a dialogue that Father God was going to have with Jesus. And Father God is speaking to Jesus through this verse, uh, through David, and he's saying, ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Now, isn't that a loving God? Isn't that a loving daddy? How many daddies do I have in this house today? Raise your hand. Daddy, you want to provide for your kids, don't you? You would give your kids whatever you could give them that you had means of. And even if you don't have means, sometimes you just find a way. You just go without so your, your child can have that thing. A good daddy wants to bless his kids, wants to give their kids everything that they desire. Father God said to Jesus, ask of me and I will give you, I'll give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. There's a divine shift in the mindset of this ministry that I told you about a couple of weeks ago. There's a new paradigm etched by the finger of God upon every one of our hearts. We're beginning to think territory. And we're beginning to see as God sees. To think territory. To think that there's something bigger and better out there. That we just don't have to settle for what we have or what just comes to us. But we can have greater than what we have. Because we have the greater one living inside of us. Amen. Amen. And when we begin to think in this realm, we shift from a defensive maintenance, oh, this is just the way it's going to be, going to be, this is my lot in life type of mentality, where we just, be, we just settle and we become stagnant. I hate settlers. I hate being a settler myself. I find myself sometimes just thinking, oh, this is comfortable, I'll just relax right now. And every time I start to relax and all of a sudden all hell generally breaks loose because God says, no, son, you're not going to settle. The Lord doesn't want us to settle. He wants us to move on. Look at your neighbor and say, move on. Tell him to quit being on the defense all the time. Tell him it's time to get going and be on the offensive. Some of you are even clapping, and I appreciate that. It's time to be progressive in our thinking. It's time for us to go forth where we have tomorrow in, its, in our sights, and we begin to accelerate and get territory. Amen. We begin to win at this thing called life. In Christ, we have to see that we are writing a new chapter in our history. Amen. We're going to possess the gates of the enemy, and we're going to take back, take back our jurisdiction. What is our jurisdiction? Our jurisdiction is where God has planted us. Where are we planted? We're planted right here in Rochester, Minnesota. This whole week I've been praying, and I've, I've been expanding that. I say the greater Rochester area. I found myself even praying for a 100-mile radius around Rochester. Why not? That would cover the Twin Cities too, wouldn't it? They need Jesus up there too. It's time for us to, 
to get radical and to realize that we can have more than just what we have right now. Possessing the gates of the enemy is a powerful promise that God gave to Abraham for his seed Isaac. Remember the, the encounter that God had with, with Abraham when he said, I want you to take your son, your only son. Sometimes we hang on to things, possessions, and we think they're of God, but they're not of God. They're Ishmael's. They're things that we've created ourselves, and we think God is obligated. God must bless it. God must take care of it. God doesn't have to bless something he didn't start. It was only Isaac, the promised seed, that went up to that mountain. And just before Abraham was going to sacrifice his son as instructed by the Lord, the angel Lord stopped him. And the Lord said to him in Genesis chapter 22, verse 16, I'm paraphrasing that because I don't have it written down. But he said, because you have done this thing and you haven't, and you haven't withheld your son, your only son. He says this to him in verse 17. Blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. Say, lift your hands with me right now and say, Father God, I thank you through faithful Abraham. I'm of the faithful spiritual seed of Abraham. In Christ Jesus. Therefore, I'm going to possess the gate of the enemy. I'm going to possess the gate of the enemy. I'm going to possess the gate of the enemy. Do you understand what that means, church? The gate of the enemy is the entrance to the territory that the principalities and powers, which we just defined two weeks ago, are territorial spirits, where they are scheming and plotting. How are they going to keep the church from growing in that territory? How are they going to come against Christians so they're ineffective and never reach their destiny in Christ? The Lord said here to Abraham, he's going to give his son and your descendants the opportunity that's you and me to possess the schemes. To take those schemes and to, to nullify them. To frustrate them so they don't come to pass in Jesus' name. Amen. Is there anybody in this place that likes to win? I want to see your hand. It's not fun to lose. It's not fun to lose. When you lose time and time again and you don't see God coming through, you, you, you get conditioned to believe that, guess what? This is all that is for me. If you're suffering from a chronic disease, the enemy's been conditioning you and saying, this is yours, this is yours, this is yours, this is yours, this is yours. And before long you say, this is my sickness. I gotta go to the doctor to take care of my sickness. Don't you take possession of it. Don't you dare come in agreement with it. You got the greater one living inside of you. And you are his. And that chronic disease is illegally trespassing upon God's property. I hate sickness. I hate disease. I hate poverty. 
And poverty thinking is a thing that has held the church back. Poverty thinking, oh, I'm not good enough. I can never measure up. Oh, me, oh, my. Well, you know what your problem is, beloved? You're thinking about yourself instead of thinking of God. And there's not one of us that can heal ourselves. There's not one of us that can walk in the full prosperity of God. There's not one of us that can change anything. Only Jesus Christ can, the captain of the host. But we have him living inside of us. Why do we tolerate sickness and disease? We shouldn't tolerate it. And Jesus didn't tolerate it. Last time I told you that in the New Testament, Jesus took possession of his territory as a man before he started his earthly ministry. And because he did that, he was able to be effective to bring heaven down to earth. He did it as a man. You say, well, he was a son of God. Yes, he was a son of God. But remember in the Jordan River when John the Baptist baptized him, he lost all of his identity as God. When he went into those waters of that river, all of his identity as God left in those waters. And when he came back up, he came back up as 100% man that was dependent 100% on God. So there's no excuse for any of us to say, well, that's, that can't happen for me. Because the author and perfecter of our faith has paved the way and has already presented us with a model on how to tear down the strongholds of the enemy and possess those gates of the enemy. How did Jesus do it? Well, we know that the three areas where, where, where he comes, he comes at, it was found in Matthew chapter, well, chapter 3 and chapter 4, but generally chapter 4, where the enemy comes and he questioned Jesus in those three areas. I'm not going to go over that because we did that two weeks ago, but you'll have to just come with me because we have to cover some of it. The three areas is the devil, will, when he takes territory over an area, he takes over the physical conditions of that area, he takes over the spiritual conditions of the, that area, and he takes over the political arena of that area. Say physical, physical. Spiritual, spiritual, and political. political. We know that we don't battle against flesh and blood, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4 say, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, in other words, they're not of the flesh, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. The weapons that we have in Christ are mighty for pulling down strongholds. So let's follow what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? We know that after he was baptized and identified 100% with you and I, that he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And he warred, he warred against the Spirit who had claimed dominion over the earth you remember that, that uh, Adam gave that dominion back to the devil when he was disobedient in the garden. So now the second Adam, Jesus Christ, was coming back to gain that authority back. How many know that Jesus never lost his authority because he is all authority, he created everything. But the authority that he had to gain was the authority for man. Remember, he did this as a man. 
He had to regain authority back into you and I so then we can stand in the face of the devil and say, no, devil, you are not going to take control over the physical realm of this territory anymore. You're not going to take care. You're not going to come and infiltrate the spiritual atmosphere of that area, nor are you going to come and, and get into the political part of it, the government, because the government shall be upon Jesus Christ's shoulders. You understand that. And it's not a battle between Democrats and Republicans. We, 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 you know, don't go to the streets and start duking it out there. I mean, come on, that's ridiculous. Amen. Although it does happen. <laughs> but our weapons of warfare, they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Hmm. So the battle plan, the physical the first question that the tempter came to, to Jesus in, in Matthew uh, 4, 3, and he said, if, 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 the devil always wants to put a question, a question. He wants us to question God's ability here to provide for us. How many know that God is your Jehovah Jireh? Well, some of you know that. Well, the rest of you, if you don't know that, you're going to be miserable. You're going to be sweating all the time, wondering, is God going to give me enough money to pay my bills? Am I going to be able to get out of debt? You've got to know that God is your Jehovah Jireh. If you are the Son of God, command these stones become bread. Matthew 4, 5. And he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then we had the spiritual, which speaks of protection. And the question that the devil brought to Jesus, and is the question he does to every one of us, is God able to protect you? Is, is God able to protect you from the pestilence that's around? Is God able to protect you from the lies of the enemy? Is God able to protect your family and keep your family safe? Amen. Yeah. In the spiritual sense, we have to understand that our, our weapons are mighty through God. Well, let's just turn there and read that real quick as long as I got started on it. Matthew chapter 4, starting verse 5. Then the devil took him, took Jesus, up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash a foot, your foot against a stone. And Jesus' response to him was this. It is written, again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. How many times are we tempted to take matters into our own hands? Because we don't see God coming through. So we think. Then thirdly, the political. God's ability to promote us and to position us to bring prosperity to our lives. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, we read this, And again the devil took him on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if, 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 you will fall down and worship me. Hmm. Then Jesus, you know, why do we want to push things with God? I mean, do, do we like to be miserable? Can I give you the definition of miserable? 
miserable as this. It's a born-again, spirit-filled believer who is an independent spirit. That equals misery. God will promote you in due time. In due season, you shall reap if you faint not. Amen. So, but it's interesting to note with all of this that once Jesus spoiled Satan's plan in the wilderness, that's when his ministry started to grow. See, we can put our heads in the sand and think that we don't have an adversary that's out to steal, kill, and destroy. We can think, well, Jesus took care of that, so I don't have to worry about it. And yes, Jesus did take care of it. And yes, we don't have to worry about it. But that doesn't mean that we have to ignore it either. If we want to see success, we need to do what Jesus did. Because after Jesus took care of the devil, after he took care of it, and he did that spiritual warfare in the wilderness, he gave us a model for tearing down strongholds in our jurisdiction to break through the heavenlies in order to be fruitful in establishing God's kingdom in our jurisdiction. A lot of you raised your hand. You said you wanted to be fruitful, that you wanted to be blessed by the supernatural hand of God. Well, then this is how it's done. Because there's something, if we don't do this, there's, there's going to be, it's going to be like a brass heaven over us. And we're not going to see the hand of God. We'll see, we'll see trickles of his blessing, right? And I'm grateful for even any crumbs that we get from the Lord. Let me put it that way. But how many know God doesn't want to give us just crumbs? Those are for the Gentiles. God wants to give us the full boat. This is our jurisdiction. He is expecting us to win. He's expecting us to bring in the massive harvest of souls. He's expecting us to walk in the fullness of his spirit, to see people healed, delivered, set free. He wants to see marriages restored. He wants to see kids come back to their families and, fam and parents come back to their kids. That's his desire. So what are the five keys to this battle strategy that Jesus used? I'll give all five of, it, five of them to you, and then we're probably only going to be able to tackle two of them this morning. So if you're taking notes, here they are. Number one, humility. It begins with humility. Number two, Jesus gave himself to fasting. Fasting. Once you discover that spirit of humility in Christ and you live a fasted lifestyle, then number three, you're ready because you've emptied yourself completely of self and you're ready to become one with the word of God. There's so many people that are trying to fit the word of God in them, but they haven't got rid of themselves and so they see the word of God through their filter. How many know that we need to see God's word through him. That's what that scripture means in John 15, 7. If you abide in me, come on, you guys. If you're abiding in someone, that means you're not abiding in yourself. You're not full of yourself, but you're abiding in the Lord. When you're abiding in the Lord, you have come to that place of humility, of brokenness completely before him. And you've lived a fasted lifestyle because I don't know any other way to crucify the flesh than to fast. Then 
once that's taken care of, then you can start receiving the revelation of God's word the way he wants you to receive it. Not through another person's opinion, not through your opinion or through the, the perception that you have. There are a lot of Christians that just cut, and cut out certain part, parts of the word because, oh, I don't know if I believe that. I, I, you know, I think it's this way. No. We have to take the whole counsel of the word. Amen. Amen. Then once you have humbled yourself, once you've emptied yourself completely and crucified yourself as a lifestyle, you are a fasted person unto the Lord. Then you can become one with the word and the word can start taking form in your heart. Then, number four, you're able to persevere through the junk of the enemy. What does it say in James? Submit yourself, therefore, unto God. Then you're able to resist the devil. And guess what? The devil has to flee. But don't you dare start commanding the devil to do stuff if you haven't submitted first to God you'll get beat up <laughs> and then finally once you're a person of humility once you live a fasted lifestyle once you become one with the word once you persevere and you start seeing victories now then then and only the, and then only then do you have the voice of authority to command the devil to leave there's no command of authority until you first do those four things. You can pray in the name of Jesus all you want, but if you haven't been conformed to Jesus Christ in his fullness by being a person of humility, being a person that's given to fasting, being a person that becomes one with the word, being a person that now is, is uh, uh, persevering and actually having victory in their lives, then don't you dare start commanding the devil to leave. You have no ground. You have no authority. That authority only comes in the name of Jesus. It only comes in the full character of Jesus Christ operating in your life. That's what Ephesians 3.20 is all about. Now, unto him who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think, the condition is it's according to the power that's working inside of you. That power working inside of you and me is the authority of Jesus Christ working inside of us. Before we discuss these five strategy battle keys individually that Jesus modeled for us, and if we can just model them, we will be able to take this jurisdiction for Jesus, I can guarantee you. I can guarantee you we will win. I can guarantee you every time we pray for somebody that comes to the healing center, they're going to be healed. Everyone that comes to be delivered, they'll be delivered. The only thing that will keep them from getting their healing and their deliverance is their will. Because you can't, you can't pray against somebody's will. There are five main giants of self that hinder our breakthrough or our, our effectiveness to tear down the strongholds in order to possess the territory. What's a breakthrough? What's a breakthrough? I looked at good old Webster and I found out that breakthrough is defined as this. It's a strikingly important advance, excuse me, or discovery in any field of knowledge or activity it's the act, the result, or place of breaking through against resistance in warfare. 
That's what breakthrough is. Breakthrough is breaking through that resistance. Amen. In the Old Testament, David spoke of a time in his life when he experienced breakthrough from his enemies. He, he was going through a time of warfare, and he's going, God, what am I going to do? And it happened. It happened again for him, just as he, just as he was uh, 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 called to be the next king of Israel. Isn't it amazing? Before Jesus began his earthly ministry, he went up, to the, up into the wilderness and, and conquered the, the devil. So it was with David in the Old Testament. Very similar. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 5. Starting in verse 17. Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Notice that David, when he heard of it, he didn't, he didn't cower in fear and go running into a cave. When he heard that the Philistines were plotting to come against him, he went right to the stronghold. He went right to the force. He, he went on the offensive. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephraim. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to, to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the name of that place Baal-perazim. The word Baal-perazim means master or lord of the breakthrough. How many know Jesus Christ is the master and the Lord of our breakthrough? Amen. Have you ever needed the Lord to reveal himself to you as the Lord of your breakthrough? Come on. That should be all of our hands going up. All the Philistines were coming against him. All the Philistines maybe in your life are coming against you today. And you need a breakthrough from God. Quit hiding in the corner and just let those Philistines come at you. Do what David did. He went right down to the stronghold. The enemy does not want any of us to come into our full destiny in Jesus Christ. He wants to stop the vision before it even gets going. You understand that? Especially if you're on the offensive and you're making some, some leeway. He's going, oh, we got to stop them. And the Philistines, they were okay with Saul because they knew what spirit Saul was. But when they heard another one was anointed king and his name was David, <laughs> well, that was a different story. Because David was of a different spirit. David was connected with God. He was a man after God's own heart. And when God is in the equation, guess what? Our enemy has to run and flee. And so it says here that that's, that's what happened. He was a different spirit. And warfare is genuine. It's a necessary part of getting to our destiny and regaining territory. If you don't want to fight, then guess what? Just be a settler then. But if you want to gain territory and win in life, you're going to have to get some gumption. 
we're going to have to get a backbone and go after it. Amen. Hallelujah. The battle is won by first conquering the giants of resistance to our soul. In 2 Samuel 5.17, it tells us that all the Philistines went up to seek out David. And I'm thinking, well, who are all that Samuel's talking about? They were the five chief cities among the Philistines found in 1 Samuel chapter 6, verses 17 through 18. And I'm going to give them to you real quick. They are Ashdod, Gaza, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. You say, okay, big deal. <laughs> what do those cities mean? Names in the Bible mean something. These five Philistine cities represent the five giants or enemies that David faced, and he defeated all of them. They also the, represent the five enemies of our soul that we must, in Christ, defeat. Because it begins with that in order for us to walk in humility and live a fasted life. So what are they? The first one is Ashdod. Ashdod represents pride. It's the first giant that David had to destroy was Ashdod. Faith is the very thing that makes us fall immediately. It was the thing that made Satan fall. Amen? The ark of God was carried to Ashdod after victory in Ebenezer. It was taken uh, up to the temple of Dagon. The word Ashdod, you know what it means in Hebrew? It means city on a hill. The enemy called pride will seek to prevent a person, a church, or a city, or a region from, from taking territory. If a city is full of pride, they will never be able to take that territory. I would suggest that Rochester suffers from a spirit of pride. Pride, I, mean, I talked on pride some time back, but we know what it says in Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. A spirit of meekness and humility will position us always for breakthrough. Write that down. A spirit of meekness and humility will always position us rightly to get a breakthrough. Jesus, in the Gospels, he always taught the principle of functioning in the opposite spirit of the enemy. You know, if your enemy comes and he hits you, what are you supposed to do? A lot of you would say, well, I'd slug him back, and I'd make it count. I'd make it hurt. <laughs> but Jesus said, no, turn the other cheek. If your enemy needs a coat, if they need a coat, what are you supposed to do? Your enemy. Well, you're supposed to take the coat off your back and give it to them. Jesus always taught the opposite of what the devil would do. And so if you want victory, just do what is not normal. You want victory financially? Start giving. You say, well, I can't give. I don't have enough to pay my bills. Well, you'll continue to not have enough to pay your bills if you hold back more than is right. But if you sow, right, then you're going to be able to reap a harvest. If you're believing to be made well, then start praying for other people that are sick. You understand. Just do the opposite of what you would normally in your flesh want, would want to do. Hallelujah. Humility is the opposite of pride. The spirit of humility will always defeat the enemy called pride. 
What's the second enemy of our soul? The second giant that David conquered and stood of his way of breakthrough was Gaza. Gaza was the capital city of the Philistines, so it represents government. What does government represent? It's the question of who's in charge. The question in our life is always who's in charge. Are we going to be in charge of our lives, or are we going to let King Jesus be the one that's in charge of our lives? Self always wants to sit on the throne. Self always wants to call the shots. We always want to have our own way. By, by human nature, we don't want people telling us what to do. Why do you think this church isn't real packed out? Because I'm always telling you what to do. I know that. I'm sorry. I'm preaching to myself here, too, when I'm preaching to you, okay? But people don't like to be told what to do. And I told you the most miserable person is one that has an independent, independent spirit. And someone with an independent spirit, listen to this, they become the authority in their lives and those around them. When you're an independent spirit, then you set up the, your own case of morality and your own way that people should live. And when people don't measure up to your level of morality, then guess what? They're wrong and you're always right. Can I tell you, that makes you miserable. You will be miserable, 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 because people will always, always, always disappoint you. Leave it up to, why do you think Jesus told us that we are not to judge one another? Paul tells us not to judge one another. We're to leave that up to the judge of all judges, Jesus Christ. Just be concerned about your own life. And pray for those that come against you. Praise the Lord. I know this is going over good, isn't it? You see, you got to understand something. When we do this, we make ourselves God. And when we make ourselves God, then God cannot promote us, protect us, or provide for us. That's a scary thought, isn't it? I don't want that. In our lives as Christians, it's not always a sin issue that the Lord's dealing with. It's always a yieldedness issue. Always. Always. If God can get a hold of our heart and we yield to him, sin does not have dominion over us. How yielded are you to the Lord? Amen? Let me just say this, and I'm going to move on to the third one. A good soldier must be willing to be obedient to his commander-in-chief, especially in warfare. An independent spirit person. How many people were in the military? How many of you know during boot camp that was just drilled in you? You're not, it, you're not yourself anymore. You're the property of the government. And you have to think of everybody else in your, in your squad, everybody in, in, in your company. Because, listen, one independent spirit cannot only put themselves in danger but they can put the whole company in danger. It just takes one person in a family. It just takes one person in a church. It just takes one person that is an, of an independent spirit, and they can spoil the whole bunch. And God's dealing with that independent spirit. And you better be open to what he wants to do. Because a day is coming if you don't. You are going to have to. You will suffer judgment. 
That's why in, in communion today, in 1 Corinthians, the Lord had me share that with you. I understand now, now why I had to read that whole thing. Thank you, Lord. Because he said if we would examine ourselves, then we would not be judged. If we would examine ourselves, then we would not be judged by God. Lose that independent spirit. Humble yourself before God. Quit being in, in control. Quit trying to rule everything. You'll be happier, trust me. The third thing is uh, Ashkelon. That's the God of uh, fertility or prosperity. That's what that, that name means. It also means greed and selfishness. This giant of our soul represents uh, this greed and selfishness where, I, you know, Pastor, I know what you're saying is true. I know I should do it. But I don't want to give myself fully for, to God because if I give myself fully to God, then I, then I know that the devil's going to come after me. He's going to come after my family. And I just don't think I want to do that. And this is just comfortable with where, where I am. And, you know, I don't want to lose my position at work. I don't want to, you know, you, you hang on to stuff so tightly. And by hanging on to stuff so tightly, the things of this earth, you lose out on the eternal value of, of heaven, the gifts of heaven that God just wants to pour upon you. We have to understand our position in covenant with God. And in our position in covenant God, all that we have is God's. And all he has is ours. The fourth city that, that uh, David came to was a city called Gath. Gath means wine press. Is there anybody in this place that has, has experienced difficulties the last couple of years? I mean, it's just been one thing after another, after another, after another. Praise the Lord. That means God's got big plans for you. Because in Bible times, you know what they would do? They would put grapes into, the, into this, this big barrel, and then they would smash, have people go in there, usually women. Would, it would, would smash those grapes. Maybe they still do it today. I don't know. You, you get that vision that you see that over in Italy. That's what they do. I don't know. But if you've ever felt lately that you are just a doorman, that everybody's just been walking on and wiping their feet on, you feel like no one's listening to you, no one affirms you, no one loves you. Have you been feeling that way? Well, if you have, praise the Lord. Because that means God is pressing everything of self out of you. So he, he can fill you up with the new wine. Amen. There's new wine coming, church. It has to before we get raptured out of here to bring in this mighty harvest. There has to be a new outpouring of the spirit of the living God that has to hit this house before Jesus can rapture us out of here. Are you ready to be filled with it? Well, then you have to go through the wine press. You're going to have to come to that place of Gath and overcome it. Amen. And then the fifth thing, and one that we're all acquainted with here, and as soon as I say this, you're all going to start laughing. Because when I saw it, I started laughing hysterically. But Ekron. Ekron means extermination. They worship the fly god. The fly god. Some of you that clean this church, how many of you clean this church? How many love to vacuum up the flies on the window sills? 
They're all over on the windowsills. There's probably a few of them over there right now. Yeah, I see a couple of them right now. The fly god. What does this represent? Well, let me, let me ask you this. We've all experienced this. Me being a preacher at this pulpit, I have experienced it more times than not. Those flies are very lethargic that we have in this house. And they fly, like so slowly, right? But they're big. And they like to go to places high, especially when the lights are on up here. And so I'm preaching a message, or we've had a speaker, and I remember when Billy Thompson was here. That was so good. And he was preaching away, and one of those flies was coming after him. And I'm sitting right there, and I'm watching it. And as he's going like that, I'm going like this, and he's going like this, I'm going like that. And I go, oh my gosh, where is it going to land? I'm not listening to one word he's saying out of the word of God. I'm focused on that stupid fly that's dive-bombing him. And finally, finally, it sets on the floor, and I know that once they hit the floor, they're dead meat, because they're so lethargic, they can't get off this carpet. And so... He's preaching away. He goes over to it, and he puts it out, like putting out a cigarette. I mean, he's just, just grinding that right down into the carpet. <laughs> the point is being this, church. We cannot allow the, dis- the distractions of life from preventing us to receive the revelation that God has for us now. The five weapons that come that David conquered, number one was pride. Number two was self-rule. Number three was greed or selfishness. Number three uh, was resisting the wine press. And then finally, we cannot let the distractions. We, listen, get rid of whatever clutter you can get rid of. Stop listening to some of the things you've been listening to. Stop reading some of the things you've been reading. Listen, we got information coming out from all over. Some of it is good, but a majority of it we could probably just turn off. Because Jesus was able to conquer all those five things of his soul, he was able to be, he was able to walk in humility. And that's the beginning part of being used of God to put on that spiritual armor and to start taking taking down those strongholds and regaining territory. The second thing was he fasted for 40 days. Can I tell you something? You will never, fasting and humility, I'm going to close with this, fasting and humility go hand in hand. I've yet to find someone who walks in the spirit of humility who also isn't one who's giving themselves to fasting on a regular basis. It just won't happen. Someone who is given to a spirit likewise of humility will know the importance of always crucifying their flesh. God's got super big things planned. The new wine's about ready to get poured out in this house. My prayer is not, there's not one of us here that misses it. Not one, not one. I pray all the time for you guys. I pray, I pray, and I pray that, that there's a brokenness and that you're not fighting against the things that God wants to do in your life. So next week we're going to, We'll, we'll continue looking at the other three about 
letting the word become one in our lives? What does that mean to become one with the word? Then what does it mean to persevere? And then, of course, we're going to tackle the authority thing because I think it's just going to be just a given after that. And we're going to be shouting at the end. Are you okay with that? All right. Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand to your feet? Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for today. We thank you for the mighty things you're doing in our lives, Lord. Lord, just as you gave David victory, that he was able to break through in those five areas that were coming against his soul. Father, I thank you that you've given us victory through Jesus Christ to overcome those five areas as well. I thank you, God, that we're not a a people that are overtaken by pride or greed, that we're not a, a, a people that, you know, are easily distracted or resist the working of your spirit in us, Lord. We're not people that want to be in control, but we yield ourselves completely to you. And we say with all sincerity, Father, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in our lives. Let our lives be a reflection on this earth of heaven in every way. Lord, I speak a blessing over each one of these precious ones. I thank you, God, that they are safe and they're hidden in you, Lord, and they're open to receive everything that you have for them. For this, we thank you and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I talked to her last week, and she was doing good. She was really upbeat and feeling good. Good. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to send her a card. Yeah, she'd like that. She likes to get cards.